what we started to kind of hear by listening is that photography is so much more than just the power to own the narrative. It's a gateway, it's an access to helping kids and humans connect with themselves and connect with their surroundings. And so from listening to the kids themselves, listening to local leadership, we started to explore how, yes, photography is important to teach, but also helping teach the tools to connect with yourself and to connect with your emotions and your experiences is also equally important. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. And I'm your host, Hannah Warren. Hey friends, Hannah here. Uh, Before we jump into this amazing conversation, I wanted to pause because you may notice that it is not Mackenzie speaking, and she usually does these amazing intros that set up these episodes. But as you may know, Mackenzie was expecting baby number two, and she is joyfully off with her family right now on maternity leave, which is so fun, and we're so excited for her in this season, and we miss her dearly on the podcast. Um, But for the next couple of months, we have asked our friend and coworker, Nicole, to kind of step in and jump into podcast world with us. So I love Nicole and what she brings to the table, and I just know that she's going to be such an added voice to these conversations. And so I wanted to introduce mm. you to Nicole, and she's going to kind of introduce this episode as well. Thank you, Hannah. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy to be with you all. And I even I miss Mackenzie. So I'm just going to She's gonna missable. She's missable. Little joy bomb. <laughs> um, today, we have a beautiful conversation with our friend Angela Popplewell. Angela is co-founder and CEO of Nonprofit 100 Cameras. She's got over 15 years of experience working alongside local educational and community development programs all across the world. Their work is incredible. It helps equip youth with storytelling tools to process their experiences, process their emotions, help them develop their voice and their perspectives in the context of community. We get to talk a little bit about the many ways their organization is committed to embracing change and developing a willingness to pivot in the midst of ever-evolving circumstances. I loved hearing about this and the ways that this agility has taken root in Angela's family life as well. This was such an inspiring conversation, and I cannot wait to introduce you to my friend, Angela. Hello, Angela Popplewell. Hello, hello. Co-founder, CEO of 100 Cameras. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm happy to be here on a Monday morning with both of you. We're so happy. We're so happy so you're fun. here too. Um, and we go way back. Do you want to tell way all back. the people how far? We how far back. and wide? Far and wide. Is it, was it 2013? I think so. We got set up on a friend brunch date. Friend brunch date. Almost like a blind date. It kind of was. But it was sort of like a brunch Yes. Slash, did you bring your portfolio? <laughs> Do you was, want to tell us was. everything that's in your heart? We had that friend. It I'm was. grateful for that friend. I'm so thankful. Were they at the brunch too? They yes. were. Okay. They so were. they helped guide your discussion. <laughs> yes. He's like, did they just well, send we you didn't, in there? We, yeah, we definitely didn't know that that was going to happen. But it's like anytime everyone's taking a bite, it gets quiet. You got to look for that person because it's like they're ready to pounce. Okay. Give us your... Hopes and dreams. So Your hopes and dreams. But I remember so just the three like of y'all. Oh no, there was like there were like five. five? Yes. yes. And, but it definitely five was like us, a I professional 
like mixed. a mastermind, like someone was yes. trying to someone was trying yes. to yes. Right. mastermind. The, the best part is that, and this is why I love this friend. <laughs> none of us knew what we were showing up to. No, just in a, the best way. Just a brunch, like just, just let's oh, eat. let's just do a brunch. I'm yeah. in town, but then it was very strategic. Like so you sweet. should all know each other. Yep. And, and then, know what each other is up to. But Nick and I, we like locked eyes. Yeah. But you shared about history. 100 cameras. And I did. So do you want to tell us? Like, what were I you did. doing then? What was, how did oh, 100, 100 cameras, if I could say it right, start? It's okay. My dad calls it 1,000 snapshots. 1, He's gotten better. He's gotten better <laughs> over the years. Oh, <laughs> we yes. have lots of jokes. Yeah. Yes. How did it start? The I know thing. it was in it was in flux at that time. Yes. Yes. And now we're in a big transition. We're living in a new world. So new world. I Let's mean, the story of 100 cameras, that's the theme of the whole thing is just one of listening, changes, evolvement, pivots. Um, but yeah, it started way, way, way back yeah. in 2008, really with an idea. One of our co-founders was a photographer and she had this idea of what if the camera, the perspective, the ownership of the narrative was given to people within a community versus being taken from a photographer from the outside looking in? And then taking it even one step further, what if that perspective was told by children? Mm. Would it be a similar narrative? Would it be different? What would that look like? And I was really attracted to that question. I was really attracted to that idea. And so we really just started building on that idea. It was very bare bones at the time compared to what it is now, you know, 15-ish years later, as all good things should be and evolve. But we really just started trying out the concept Mm -hmm. and trying out the idea of teaching youth the skills of photography, the confidence of photography, and the aspects of it, and then seeing what they documented. What did they create? What did life look like as they saw it? Mm-hmm. And then celebrating that. What was your interest in that? And or what was your background? That's a good question. Yes. So I, you know, at the time we were very young. So, you know, out of college within a few years. And I had studied in college creative writing and education. Okay. So I've always been very interested in that intersection of how important creativity is in education, how it can further a lot of things within educational goals, within a youth member. And that really attracted me to it. And the other thing that attracted me to it was at the time, you know, I had been in community development and there was a conversation happening in 2008 where it was almost as if aid had started to explore how do we actually support mm-hmm. local community initiatives and how do we listen and how do we not cause harm? Yeah. How do we not create those dynamics? And so I was really attracted to that idea of what if we just flipped the power of the narrative? Mm. That I was really drawn to that. The creative in me was drawn to that. And then also everything I'd studied about education, I just felt like there was something to that Mm. idea. So you're serving kind of more local communities at first. How did this sort of, I mean, if I think about the work that you guys have been doing, it's almost like the angle's just getting more and more obtuse and wide and in a really beautiful way. But can you tell us a little bit about how it was like eking out? Yes, yes. I mean, it's been a true evolvement. So going back to those early years when we just tried the idea, It was really in partnership with local organizations, so a children's home in South Sudan, a community center in New York City, 
a community center in Cuba. And around that time, you know, at, at this time, we were all volunteering, doing these programs with our vacation time outside mm. of our full-time careers. And what we started to kind of hear by listening is that photography is so much more than just the power to own the narrative. It's a gateway. It's an access to helping kids and humans connect with themselves and connect mm. with their surroundings. And so from listening to the kids themselves, listening to local leadership, we started to explore how, yes, photography is important to teach, but also helping teach the tools to connect with yourself and to connect with your emotions and your experiences is also equally important. Mm. So we really went back to the drawing board. Yeah. We re-envisioned what the curriculum could be, what the program could be, and started creating activities in coordination with experts, a team at Adobe Education helped us put it into educational format to where it could go into any classroom here in the United mm, States. Beautiful. And that's when we really started truly testing the model and the concept because we now had this curriculum. This was circa 2013. Yeah. And it was, okay, does this work? Mm. And being really open with what if the answer is no? You yeah. know, does this only work with certain parts of the world? Does it only work in certain situations. And what we realized by doing more and more programs is that this really was a universal language. You know, yeah. the cliche of yeah. picture speaks a thousand words is a cliche for mm -hmm. a reason. And so it was around 2017, we again started listening. And a lot of the requests we were receiving were from the local organizations just needing the turnkey enrichment program. Mm. They had people who wanted to teach, they desired to teach, they desired to bring this to the students they were working alongside. And so that opened up the question yet for us again is, well, this isn't working if it only relies on a 100 Cameras team member to teach. Yeah. And not only is it not working for the ability to grow and work alongside more youth, it's also not the most responsible and it's not the most impactful hmm. because local representation is key. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that relationship with those kids prior to the program starting is key. So that's when we really kind of flipped yet again. Yeah, totally. And developed that part of the model that's now what we do today. Hmm. And the trainings, are they around like utilizing like a point and shoot camera or like the Technology's just changed so much since yes, 2008. Totally. Yes. And everyone like has a camera with them on their phone that's with them everywhere they go. I'm curious how y'all sort of have evolved, evolved yes. with that. Continuing the theme of evolvement. So the curriculum itself from the beginning was written to work with point-and-shoot cameras. And that's for two reasons. One, just safety. Mm -hmm. Just something that could quickly be put in their pocket. Not a ton of gear that's very yeah. visible. Not a ton to of the, gear. Yeah. It's also that speaking to that in addition is also just like we wanted them to be able to quick be able to be quick and agile to catch that moment yeah. versus getting out the whole. I love that. You know. DSL. The whole rig. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. the whole rig. Rig, <laughs> great word. And the other reason was we really wanted students to feel confidence very quickly in the curriculum. So the way the curriculum arc works, those first few lessons are very photography heavy. Mm. And we need them to learn skills and you need to learn them somewhat rapidly to be able to build into what the rest of the curriculum teaches. And we want them to feel confidence and to have fun. Mm. So we really stuck to that point and shoot model for those reasons. And then absolutely to your point, things have evolved since oh, 2008. Yeah. That smartphone camera is quite spectacular. And yes. so in 2019, 
we were really lucky to pilot our curriculum with the smartphone with Apple. It's amazing. They came alongside us and it was incredible. So we figured out how to tweak the curriculum where it needed to be tweaked. They were very supportive. And that was when we realized the curriculum also works with the smartphone camera. Mm. And so now it's really up to that local organization. Some use smartphones. What do you need? What do you have? Some already have yeah. tablets if they've had grant money for that. Some utilize point and shoots, which we support them in acquiring. Mm -hmm. So it's really versatile in that way. And that's important as times continue to evolve. So what what are you seeing in the kids? Like what's the immediate sort of impact that you're seeing? Like in the classroom, on the ground, day one. Obviously, I don't know if this is a is this a day-long program? Is this like a repeated? I guess that's a better question. Is like, how does this roll out? What how does this does look it work? like? Yeah. Yes. Tell us. Maybe I could zoom out and just talk about the curriculum yeah, and program great. first, and then we can geek out. Yeah. So the lesson plans are designed to be eight classes. Now, each community center, school, or children's home, or community housing, they have different schedules. They have different infrastructures and different needs. So sometimes those eight lesson plans are spread out over 16 classes that are shorter. Sometimes they're condensed into a four-day camp because they are with the students all day. Yeah. It really is versatile in that way, and our team works to customize the curriculum to whatever supports their infrastructures. But it's eight lesson plans. And the first few lessons, as I touched on a moment ago, are very photography skills heavy. So composition, the tool belt, you're learning aperture, you're learning how these techniques can help help you tell the story you want to tell mm. to express the emotions you want to express, you know. Yeah. They're learning all of those things. It's very gamified. It's very fun. It's very confidence building. Love it. At that point, the curriculum then transitions to utilizing photographs to help students connect with their emotions. And I don't think I'm supposed to have a favorite lesson, so mm. this isn't on the record, <laughs> although it technically is. But there's a lesson halfway through where students utilize a stack of images taken by their peers all around the world. And the concept of emotions is introduced. And this is where, you know, it's very tailored per community. And mm -hmm. the teacher knows where their students are at. Some students, the programs worked alongside, for example, in an IDP camp in Kurdistan, Iraq, the students hadn't really learned the concept of emotions yet. Wow. They had fled their homes from ISIS five years before they'd been living in an IDP camp. And their community leadership was like, we're going to have to really scale this back and mm. introduce the concept of happy and really sad. gentle way. Mm -hmm. yeah. Other communities, they're further along in that. They've had access to more resources to learn the concept of emotion. So each teacher enters into it wherever that group of students is at, and they start this discussion of emotions are a range, right? Mm, yeah. yeah. You know, it's what I've learned through this work is it's a privilege, actually, to grow mm. up understanding that. Yeah, wow. That your emotions can be arranged. Totally. You can feel two things at one time, and both feelings can be true. But that concept, when you're younger, you're not always able to learn that right, or sure. have access to learn that. So they go through a discussion and an activity, and then they're put into small groups, and they have to work together to put this range from sad to happy. And I love oh, yeah. the pictures. Yes. The, the pictures. Yes. 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 I love this activity. And we've actually done it with a lot of corporations with adults as well. Hmm. And every time the most important discourse happens. Yeah. And we work with the teachers in our training to say, let it happen. You know, of course, in a safe way. Yeah. We don't want harm to be being caused, but the students are usually very responsible in this. But it's they can both look at the same image. 
and feel two different emotions mm-hmm. sitting next to each other. But the right. way they connect with that moment is very different. And they have to talk about why. And then they yeah. have to work it out of where it's going to land on that oh range. Then they do an individual activity where they connect with a specific photo, explore why they felt that way, explore how photography helped express that for them. Then there's a few more lessons that really kind of build on that concept. And then it starts to look inward towards the end of the curriculum. So students are thinking about their past experiences, how they relate to those. Then they're taking images to express who they are today as they relate to those images. And then the curriculum wraps with starting to look forward. So thinking about how they can tell the story of their experiences through images as a single image or a group image. And essentially, why that is also important is because it builds on one another. Yeah. And it can meet each community wherever they're at, at the helm of their local leadership. Mm. And when you asked how the kids respond to that, it is universally remarkable their agility to lean in. Mm. And and they're all going to lean in in different ways, sure. right? Every student that enters yeah. that classroom is at a different part Coming of their from journey. Coming different context, yeah. And the curriculum's truly designed to meet them where they're at and, and to be a tool that helps guide them through that. Oh but God. their vulnerability is incredible. Their personalities shine. Mm. And they really lean into how photography is such an important art form and it's such a way to express themselves and i love that this tool doesn't have to be terribly contextualized per environment it's sort of like the people bring their thing to the curriculum and it kind of does its own work so how how did you guys get to the point where you felt confident and comfortable that the curriculum was kind of like (laughs) the the scaffolding that you know you're not over informing them you're not yeah yeah i laugh because we have conversations all the time internally of if the curriculum's not evolving, what are we doing? Mm. And we've had to really embrace that. But truly, what are we doing? And it was a big moment to take the leap of like, okay, now it's ready enough to your point of, okay, at what point did you kind of open this up? And it really was, we had piloted it with a few teachers that we had become very close to throughout the organization Many of them still do programs to this day in their community and really came to them with this idea. We're like, look, we know we're limiting this and it's not the most impactful it can be if it's Mm. our team teaching this curriculum in communities around the world. However, we think, caveat think, we've gotten it to the point that we're ready to provide training, learn from it. And start to test this. Will you be a part of testing it? And I think that was really critical. Those teachers in the early days, 2017, 2018, that really leaned into that with us. Mm. And they were open to, they gave a lot of feedback. So feedback is critical, as we all know. So a lot of changes were made through listening to them and their experiences with the curriculum. And these were communities all across the world, United States and internationally. And From there, we just started tweaking, tweaking Mm. a lot. Also, kids around the world will tell you what works and doesn't work. (laughs) They do not. I'm like, eh. (laughs) No. (laughs) To to give you an insight, you know, the curriculum started out as 15 lessons in 2013. So to tell you we're down to eight really strong ones. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. It's it's also amazing what you've done. And and starting so young um, and helping 
build this nonprofit that's having such a global impact is so cool. I know that from personal experience of just life (laughs) and (laughs) leadership and some working in nonprofits that it's a journey for us as leaders too, to continue to grow and transform ourselves and our leadership and be willing to pivot off an original vision idea I'm curious just what the process has been like for you and like different seasons of growth for you as the organization has evolved. Yes, great question. And, you know, when it started, I was really just kind of in the realm of communications and media, which I liked. I liked that. It felt very natural to me. I loved storytelling, you know, the yeah. back to that intersection of creative writing and education And I was really happy in that role, to be quite honest with you. I was not planning. It never was on my radar to kind of move into the helm years in. And so when that happened, the organization went through some transitions, and it really kind of came down to either I should enter into taking Mm. it on at the helm, or maybe this is the finite journey of 100 cameras, And it was also around 2013 that, you know, we had an incredible board. They were really helpful. They were very hands-on in these transitions, and they were very hands-on in just asking hard questions and difficult questions. And it just came down to, I've got to at least try it. Like Mm. at that point, if I hadn't realized it before, because we were very young, I definitely realized it in this moment. This is so much bigger than any one person, and it should be bigger than any one person. Yeah. Every single person should be replaceable, myself included. Yeah. So either I give it a try, and we see how it grows, and if I'm supposed to be the person to keep growing it or not, or maybe this is the wrap-up. And it just became evident that the idea itself deserved more than that. It Mm -hmm. deserved the ability to fly, whether it was with me or not with me. And it was also an interesting point in the organization because we started to kind of acquire this community that they're all still with us to this day. They Mm. volunteered for 10 years. Some of them were our first hires in the last two years, which is just remarkable. And they really helped build it. And the way they helped build it, which I think to your point of leadership, is they really were strong where I was not strong. Mm. And I think that's so critical. Yeah. You know, I'm hearing my dad from when I was like a child, like you are who you hang out with. And yeah. It's, yeah. it's true who you're surrounding yourself with. You know, again, going back to communications, media, storytelling were my passion, but I was inheriting finances. I was inheriting legal. I was inheriting vision, business projections, like how to do all of this with stewardship. And You know, it's interesting, at the same time this was all happening, we lost a great opportunity for a really big partnership for the organization. For being so young, we had never really worked with big partners before at that time. And with everything going on, I could have come up with 15 reasons why this wasn't all my fault. Yeah. But Mm. all that brand partner needed to know when we dropped the ball is that it was my fault. Yeah. And that was a moment for me. It's Mm. like, okay. I'm going to own this, but what are we going to do the next five years to make sure this never happens again? And one of the things I realized is I got to bring in experts, you know, and then I've got to roll up my sleeves and I've got to learn. And so now, Mm. you know, accounting and taxes and 
legal. We've negotiated legal contracts with some of the world's biggest brands. And I had to listen and learn and bring in the experts and then be able to make those decisions in real time. But it's a journey. It's You said it. It's a journey because you have to have the humility to know yeah. where you're not at your best. And that's a testament to the people around me. Yeah. They, yeah. they could speak that into my life. They were like, huh, <laughs> you should probably work on this. Yeah. It's a testament to our boards, our teammates. It's such a great yeah. North Star for any yeah. for a human, for an organization, institution to say, like, what does it look like for me to get out of the way? If I exactly if I got sick or if I wasn't able to be here, or is the thing gonna fall apart? Right. Or have I empowered these people to take ownership exactly. over what they what they are gifted in and what we've hired them to do or whatever we've brought them yes. in to do, right? Yes. I think that's such a great life lesson. <laughs> so you're having well, continuing to Yeah, well you're having yeah. that in the corporate kind yeah. of like your vocational space. And then also like then we have COVID and like what do we do organizationally? But also right. like what does my family right. do when we're hitting this like this really tricky time? Yes. And you, I mean, I know because I love and know you, you yeah. had two kids at home in the middle yeah. of 2020, 2021, and that was not an easy time. And you're also having to pivot your organization. Entire organization. Yeah. So can yeah. you tell us a little bit about, like, how did that feel for you? <laughs> feel? We all kind of know. As but. we all, yes. Everyone's, like, flashing back to how it felt for them in that moment, too. You know, at that point, this is where I'm so thankful that the Journey of 100 Cameras happened how it happened mm-hmm. because there was a muscle built within the culture to pause, ask questions often, yeah. and be open to pivoting, and to be open to yeah. you yourself in your role may not know exactly what to do. Yeah. So there's a team culture already built in of bringing in, you know, all the minds, all the ideas. Yeah. And so 2020 happened, and you know, one of our largest funders at the time was European based in Italy. So they were experiencing difficulties technically before the United States were. So I felt like we had a little bit of a heads up. Mm. My husband Ty is also yeah. a data geek. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole knows he was God forecasting yep. pretty much exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. So my brain was already starting to think in that direction. And we had a board meeting right before everything shut down in New York, like that same week. And we were at Blackstone in Midtown at one of the board meetings offices and everyone was around the table and they were so fantastic because they looked at me and they said, we have no idea what's about to happen, but we challenge you to draw outside the lines. Mm. Don't hold back. Don't be slow. Just draw outside the lines, go big and go fast. And that was, I'm so thankful for Mm. that because part of the muscle of the last seven years of building the systems, you know, the whole thing, like, okay, when we're ready to scale, we're going to do it well. Yeah. 2013 is not going to repeat itself. It's the last thing I do, you know, (laughs) that type of mentality. (laughs) And so I came back to our team and I just said, we've got to think differently. What, What are our partners needing right now? And educators were quickly transitioning to remote learning our international partners, same thing, but they didn't know quite what it was going to look like. So we, within 21 days, made the decision, wrote, filmed, produced, edited an entire online version of our curriculum. It's more high level, it's broader touch, um, but something that could be plug and play, that educators could click play on in their classroom and utilize it, that students sitting at home could click play and utilize it on any type of camera. Going back to, we had already been piloting that, so that was, we were ready for it. 
And it changed the trajectory of the organization. Mm. It was so quickly received and grew so quickly. It grew to over 20,000 youth participants in a couple of months. And so we realized this is a need. Yeah. This is a need and this is what we were made for. Yeah. And so it forever became a part of what we do. We Mm. now continue to create new chapters with other creatives. We've partnered with other nonprofits who kind of bring their expertise into it brands who bring their expertise into it. And it's really fun. It's fun to have that extra creative outlet to think differently and, you know, draw outside the lines in that way. Hey friends, Hannah here. I want to interrupt this amazing conversation uh, to share a little bit about one of our programs, the Living Centered Program. In this episode of the podcast, I've loved that we've kind of focused on how Angela's program, 100 Cameras, has helped kids process their own experiences, whether that be trauma or narratives that they've held on to, that she's given kids the power to kind of take back their story, re-examine it, and heal some things by the power of storytelling. And I absolutely love that and see a giant parallel to what the work that I've experienced and the work that we get to help create at OnSite in our Living Centered program. A couple of years ago, as I was heading into the Living Centered program, I was kind of preparing. I had been in therapy for about 10 years and kind of examining parts of my life. And in my story, there wasn't a lot of what I would classify as capital T trauma. There wasn't these moments or experiences that were kind of sticking out to me as sticking points for me. I wasn't stuck in them, um, but I still was not living life to the fullest. I knew things were holding me back. I knew things were informing how I view myself and others, and I wanted that to change. And so going into the Living Centered program, I learned a lot about extending myself empathy and self-compassion and grace as I look towards the adversities that I too had gone through in my life, Um, the traumas that I had collected, the experiences that I had had, and the narratives that I had formed that were still impacting me today. So during the Living Centered program, I got to look really tenderly at those things and turn towards them long enough to allow them the space that they needed to heal. And um, as humans, we're always going to have new adversities and new challenges that we walk through. But the Living Centered program, really for me and for so many others that I hear, has not only helped them look towards their past experiences and traumas that they need to heal, but it's also helped them gain a newfound resiliency that helps them navigate life's adversities moving forward. So if you are kind of navigating life and you're just feeling like maybe you're stuck or maybe there's more healing out there for you or just that maybe life isn't living up to the potential that you know it has to be, the Living Center program could be an amazing experience for you. So if you want to learn more about that, our team would love to hop on a confidential call or you can email them at admissions at onsiteworkshops.com. But whatever it is, um, I hope today you show yourself a little bit of that compassion and you turn towards your story long enough to give it the space that it deserves and begin to heal. Linz, do you want to share a little bit about Onsite's journey in that same space? Like, there's definitely a parallel. Yeah, we definitely were happening. similarly sort of wired in terms of like, or maybe we were like strengthening that skill organizationally of like listening and pivoting. Yes. But it felt so critical that we were there during COVID. And so we like upstarted some digital programs in like two weeks. Yes. It was like It's a sprint. 
Yeah, yeah it, it was, was like we were all filming in yes. masks and <laughs> it felt weird to be out of the house, like trying to get it <laughs> yes. done. But oh. it was like such a need. Oh, similarly, yeah. people were just at home desperate for yeah. content at that yeah. point. And then it's so interesting to be on the other side of it now where people are back and appreciating like the in-person experience yes. so much more. It's um, so true. And there's a need for both now. Yeah. yeah. And the hybrid piece has gotten really important, I think, too. I wonder, was it something to explore or to navigate, I should say, with your team? With ours, you know, we can be perfectionists. And this goes back oh, to yeah. a little bit of my baggage. Again, I'm going to talk yeah. about two, no, 2013 a lot here in this conversation, <laughs> but of like, we're going to get it right. Yeah. You know, we had just been picked up by a report for from the United Nations Center for Policy Research. So it was a very critical time for the organization. I was like, if we're going to grow now, mm. we got to grow well. Yeah. And there can be this temptation to make it perfect. And we had to keep coming back to that in that three-week period of like, okay, it's more important that this gets out now right. yeah. because people need it than being perfectionist. Mm. That's hard. It's so yeah. hard. Was that this hard is, for you yeah. all? Yeah. My life's work. <laughs> My life's like, work. I, I identify <laughs> with this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. But it, I mean, yeah. I think it's interesting because we've like gone back and like re-recorded and yeah. made all the stuff we did in those early days like more professional. Mm-hmm. And there was something about the rawness of yeah, those I early agree. resources that it's just they're beautiful in their own right, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that it's like we all sort of have trauma and nostalgia thinking about the days of creating those mm-hmm. and yeah. just the willingness to, like, try something different. Yeah, so well said. Yeah, I think thinking about collective trauma, which we all are so hyper aware of that having been sort of, I mean, dare I say, zeitgeist. It was yeah. like we were in, we were grieving for things we didn't even know what they were. Obviously, there's some very real things, but then I think there's like a lot of things that couldn't even be named. And I love that, you know, both as we're talking to both of you, you know, both Lindsay and Angela about what does it look like as we're being (laughs) traumatized, (laughs) what does it look like to respond to these new needs that are being created and not just felt, but like very much out in the world. And that's so something that we can all look at and understand, even if we all had different varying degrees of it. And I think, Angela, I know you and I have spoken about kind of 100 cameras sort of became this this tool for kids to process trauma. And I know that you guys have shifted your language around yeah, that a yeah. little bit. So do you want to share? I know that COVID has like a bit of an implication yeah, on that. So that's a really good point. I'm going to refuse to say the E word. I'm, well, evolve. I'm not going to say evolve. Uh, it's <laughs> change. <laughs> change, <Shift>. evolve, transition. <laughs> that AKA. gets out thesaurus. Yeah. Be flexible. Be no, flexible. this is great. You know, but it's been an important part of who we are. So originally when the curriculum was created, we've really always followed the demand. So... We didn't, in the early days, do a lot of marketing, outreach, really any of it. It was just organizations heard about what we did, it fit a need they had. And at the time, it tended to be organizations where youth were going through very difficult circumstances, one could say traumatic circumstances, and they needed a tool to be able to process Mm -hmm. that and work through that in a way that either that school, community center, children's home didn't quite have the niche for that. And so that's really how we grew. And so yeah. at the time, we used to say our program works alongside kids who've had traumatic experiences. Over the years, the demand that was starting to come into the door, more so as we grew, it was also people who worked alongside youth that were like, okay, we don't, I wouldn't necessarily define what 
our students are going through is traumatic, but it's difficult. It's mm-hmm. challenging. Mm-hmm. And that's when we really embrace the range, that challenging can be anything. It can be on one side of the spectrum. It can be bullying or anxiety or nervousness or stress, whether it's inside the home or outside the home. And then on the other side of the spectrum, it can be like the communities we worked alongside in Iraq, where it's, you know, they've had extreme trauma. They fled their home in a second yeah, yeah. and haven't ever been able to return. And so we started to be like, you know what, our curriculum, we've seen it, we've tested it. It can work alongside the spectrum of challenging circumstances. Mm. So we began to describe challenging as if anyone has experienced instability, anxiety, fear, worry, or stress. <laughs> As you well, can imagine, all of all of 2020 us. happened. And it's like, yeah, open the floodgates. What youth or what human is not feeling that in yeah, some way? Yeah. And yeah. the World Health Organization came out with a white paper on it very early on in, I think it was March or April of 2020, that started to name this and mm. label it that youth everywhere are experiencing these things. Mm. This is a pivotal moment in their life and they need resources. And they suggested creativity as one that could really help kids right now. Mm -hmm. And that's when we were like, okay. (laughs) And we just zoomed out and we said, you know what? We don't need the label. It's just our program works alongside youth. Period. And that's been a really important part of our process, I Mm. think, to get there. But we had to get there by testing it. And by what the need was, mm, I think. Yeah. I don't know if we would have gotten to the same sure. place had we just came out of the gate with we just work with kids. Yeah. It's interesting. Like I was thinking about just photography and even how I use it, taking pictures on my phone of my day-to-day life. And then like we'll go back at night and sort of scan back through them. But I feel like photography like definitely allows us to like take a different angle on something that's happened to us, Mm -hmm. you know, like to see it as an observer and not just the person experiencing it, which really parallels like the work that we do at Onsite, like of experiential therapy. Yes. is like sometimes we've got to get out of ourselves enough to be able to like have a different lens and Mm -hmm. have different perspective. We, I was talking to somebody the other day and they were talking about just the power of being at the Living Center program and like hearing other people say things and then realizing like, oh, like that happened to me or I feel that way yeah. and that they couldn't name it. But yes. I think photography does that same thing and it's just cool. I never had thought about it until yeah. listening to you talk about, oh, it like allows me to like look at my life mm-hmm. with a different lens yeah. and yes. have a healthy observer to it. It's so vital, I'm going to say. Yeah. And Everything we've been learning, even just from the research or even going back to that report that I I mentioned from the United Nations Center for Policy Research speaks to what on-site does. It's essentially what they were looking at is, you know, if we think of, let's call it aid as a triangle, as a pyramid, Mm -hmm. you know, the the bottom base of the triangle, the the widest part of the triangle is like humans need shelter, food, clean water, safety. safety. But then there's more to that triangle. Like, yes, they're surviving at that bottom level. But what happens as they move up? Mm. Humans deserve, and I know we have similar sayings, Nicole and I, when we were exploring this conversation, similar sayings between our two organizations of, like, humans deserve more than just the ability to survive, right? You know, to make it rhyme, they deserve to thrive. And they deserve to feel connected. And what that report showed was that 
if all of those basic needs are met, but that second tier, that connection to someone else who's mm. like, oh, wow, I've experienced something similar, or maybe it's different, but I still see you in it, or they're not able to express what they've been through, they're statistically more likely to opt out of their community and their surroundings versus opt in. Mm-hmm. And I think it's such an important conversation that continues to evolve. And I love so much what OnSite does for this very reason, because we have to feel connected. We have yeah. to feel seen and we have to feel heard. And whatever medium it takes to do yeah. that, and yeah. oftentimes it can take a few, yeah, you know, yeah, definitely, yeah, <laughs> is vital to the human experience. Yeah, thinking there's so many things. I'm thinking about Brene saying we're wired, oh, like Brene. we're wired for connection. Yeah, and I think you know, on site, a lot of those insights that your friend was sharing was about mm-hmm. the community collaborative effort of like just sharing, like just. Mm-hmm we're all telling our own stories together. And then there is the listening. And I love even what you guys are describing is like the range of images, the range of emotions. People are coming together and collaboratively bringing their own experience to the table and saying like, this, this feels like this for me. And I, I can't help but wonder like how that feels for the, the person who, the participant of the program going, Oh, I never, I never would have thought that. Like in addition to the, Oh, I feel that too. The layer, the, angle of the prism that they didn't see before and they're just like that's such robust work it's a reminder for how important the work of not only on-site and 100 cameras but just programs like this in general is it could be music it could be dance Mm. it could be sports it can be therapy it can be all of these things but I'm reminded of this one student at a program in the Bronx you know we do pre and post course surveys it's one of our ways we measure our data and our impact. And one of the questions on the pre and post course survey is, you know, how do you feel knowing that other people will see your story and essentially care to see your story? And, Mm. you know, the first answer to her question at the beginning of the course was, no one has cared, no one will ever care. That's all I have to say about that. Wow. Mm. Same question. End of the program. When asked, how do you feel knowing other people see your story and care to see your story? I am really proud. And that's the power yeah. of yeah. an experience like this. Yeah. And I'm yeah. sure you see it all the time in your work because humans need that. They need that yeah. access and they deserve that access mm-hmm. to be able to connect with themselves through whatever the medium is going to be. Yeah. It could be writing. It could be, you know, you name it. Yeah. I also, this could be a tangent when talking about aid, but, you know, you need... It takes a lot. It takes a lot of things working in each of our lives in tandem. And they're all needed and they're Mm. all necessary. And Yes. (laughs) Yes. Well, I'm thinking just about myself. It's like, yeah, of course I need to wake up and have water and breakfast, but I need to be seen. Like Mm -hmm. just baseline. Mm -hmm. I need someone to see me. (laughs) Not just to say, hi, you're here, like feet on the ground, but just to like that emotional connection that I long for, even if that I'm not explicitly, you know, waiting for it and ticking a box. It's like, yeah. That is the mark of a good day is like, yes, I, I saw, mm-hmm. I paid attention, mm-hmm. I was paid attention to, I was seen. And like just the ability of that child to feel yeah. known and to have pride in something, but that had to do with like the being mirrored, right? Yes, yes. Great word. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking about the first night that I met you. We also had like a friend that curated. I love it. 
a dinner of sorts. Yes. I was like nine these months are good pregnant. Friends. I know we these need are these good people. Friends. And uh, all I really fully remember about that night is the <laughs> fireplace was like on so hardcore, and I was like burning up. I'm like, but the person that curated it is loves like deep emotional connection and so I can't remember even what the prompts was but it was like a group of women that didn't know each other at all yes, kind of yes. getting together Love and it. I can't even remember how we shared what the setup was to share do you remember well I think it started as you know just speak when you're ready and then it quickly became <laughs> it quickly became <laughs> going to circle crying. yes yes and like divulging like the hardest thing that had happened to them that year yes and, you know it's it like went there hard it went there and it totally went there but it just reminded me of like <laughs> even sort of past all the amazing work that you do it's like what what in this season do you mm. need to be like seen and who who are you today and what are you like learning and growing such a great yes <laughs> I know you know every time I have the opportunity to be in the classroom I learn something new about myself like a different mm. memory that yeah. I connect with and it's just that's constant for me you know, I don't know if it's just what's in my brain or it's because what I do all day yeah. long, but just constantly having to look inward and honor the reality of what's going on inside of me. Yeah. You know, not try to change it, but just like, okay, this is why I feel this way. And how do I feel this way? And and what can I do going forward? And has that been easy for you? Is that like a... No. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> I'm not either. Like it's... I feel like I, yes. I'm more of like a tangled knot oh. inside myself that mm. I'm like. Oh, yes. Like a bunch of just spaghettis happening. Trying to figure it out. <laughs> it's I'm thinking about together. both of you and you both have the spaghetti in common. Yeah. Yes. It's, that. you know, because one thing then leads to another. And I, I'm i a believer in processing. Yeah. You know, mm. That sometimes isn't always the most convenient thing for everyone in my life. But I need to process. Yeah. And I know myself well enough at this point, if I can go through the process, I'll get to the other side, whatever the other side looks like. Mm -hmm. But if I don't allow myself to go through the process, that's where it manifests in stress, frustration, quick temper, you know, all the things that nobody yeah. wants to talk about themselves on a yeah. first date. But, you know, it happens. And it's always, there's always a connection to, I haven't given myself the space to process. Mm -hmm let alone feel seen and heard. Like, that's that's level two, you know? <laughs> yep, I didn't get to the other yes. part. <laughs> so for you, it's yeah. mostly, like, verbally processing mm. and t taking time? Or Sometimes is that what the process like, is? Or what is the process? It's a lot of internal. Verbal's a part of it towards the end, but it really is an internal... Like, you know, I need to start with like, okay, play out worst case scenario. You know, oh, yeah. look the lion in the eye as a counselor once taught yep. me to do. I love that phrase. I don't know why. She but uses it as advice a I lot. Do. And <laughs> it's great advice, but also some people have made some really sort of jump in the deep end decisions and they blame you. <laughs> they blame me. They're <laughs> like, it's good. It's I, all good I stuff. took that risk and I looked the lion in the eye. And I don't know if I liked that <laughs> I very liked much, the lion. the lion. I know. You have to look the lion in the eye responsibly. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. That's right. <laughs> but really looking at that and then playing that out because I feel my most creative I've learned about myself and same with the organization you know going back to 2013 it was I want to be so close to every number this organization has whether it's financial impact because once I know the numbers once I know where we're at our stewardship our lanes 
then I can be creative. Mm. And it's the same way in my own life. Like I need to process, okay, you know, what's the game? I think it was on This Is Us between Randall and Beth. They would always play like worst case scenario. Oh, go. Yes. They totally I love that. Them. I just do yeah. that with myself. You know, <laughs> it's, two yeah. people. it's just yeah. me internally going yeah. on a walk, <laughs> having worst case scenario. That's great. And then, you know, talking back to myself in my brain, I'm like, mm. okay, well, if that happens, yeah, because then you, you can do. really manage the fear yes. of yes. like untangle exactly. the fear. I had untangle. a therapist do that with me once where she was yes. like, okay, let's like really dig in. What all are you afraid of? Yes. And you're like, okay, I can name all these things. Mm-hmm. And it's the, at the time it was like overwhelming yes. to like name it all. Exactly. Yeah. It's a big tool. And then to you're learn. like, yeah, but I know I can handle all of those right. things if right. they happen. That takes the a lot grit, of the slow- resilience. Yes. Comes that, in. Yeah. Takes slowing down mm-hmm. and like moving it towards does. yourself with curiosity. Yeah. And that's like a hard thing to do on a Monday morning, you know? Yeah. Just, yeah, okay, I don't want to do that thing. I don't know. I don't even know why. Mm-hmm. But like yeah. to slow down and. And it's, play it's the game. a muscle because if you've seen it play out enough of like, okay, I am then able to live a full life or a full mm-hmm. day yeah. or find my creativity. And make good decisions. Yeah. And not, not reactive. Perf- not reactive and also not perfect decisions. This yes. is yeah. another part of my processing. Is like, okay, once you sort through all of the spaghetti, to continue that metaphor, and I think through what are my biggest fears, you know, there's still going to be risks that come out of that processing that yeah. you're going to have yeah. to either say yes or no or come up with a different solution for. And they may not all be perfect, mm. But I found that so freeing. I think yeah. the older I get, that it's like, of course, it's not perfect. We don't have a crystal ball. Yeah, yeah. we don't know. But if we can make the best decision mm. with the information we have, with yeah. the data, air quotes yeah. we've collected, and we've looked at our biggest fears in the eye, you've looked at the lion, then we just have to do our best. Yeah, and put a foot forward. You know, and that's where we learn, and that goes back to pivots, evolvement, yeah. all the words. I think about that, and sometimes making a decision that maybe was not the right one can teach the like a beautiful yes. lesson, and then really course correct and set you in a on a different path mm-hmm. that is the one that was needed, you know, was needed yeah. in the first place. And yeah, I know, but you have to kick the shame out. Shame is yeah. a big part. Yes, right? it is. We created a culture or a team value. Gosh, I don't know, two years now, and we actually hire based on this. We put it in our job descriptions of like. We're going to be a culture of no shame, no blame. We don't have time. So like own it. Just bring the mistake to the team as fast as you possibly can. If you already have a solution, great. If not, we're going to come up with one. Mm. And then we're going to put systems in place. We're going to see what the gap was. But like we don't have time because shame is a, you know, it's a killer. Yes. And takes up a lot of space. A lot of space and a lot of (laughs) movement in my own life. But that applies to me personally, too. It's harder to do personally, I think, than professionally. Mm. Yeah. I think it's like until you start to unpack all the things that are happening and like realize that shame and fear are like driving the Mm. bus. Yes. Recklessly. They're driving us recklessly. (laughs) You don't realize it until you like untangle everything. You're like, oh, that's actually what's making these decisions. Mm. Yes. And then to be able to like make a more holistic decision. That's so smart. I know. Can we have this conversation every Monday morning? I know. I know. I'm like, yes, (laughs) I'm feeling inspired. It's just like so good. So Angela now lives in Nashville. Oh, yes. But has come from New York. Big change. Huge change. And I think just knowing a little bit about the way you're you're kind of articulating in organizationally, you guys Mm -hmm. ask questions, move the needle, course correct, like self-evaluate constantly. But I think 
as a family, maybe that's not on paper, but that's a value that you have is to yeah. kind of ask questions and move move toward your entity <laughs> with curiosity. I love that about yes. your partner. He yeah. is a data guy and he all information is good information, never seems to scare him, which is like my <laughs> I'm like, like I okay, need it on a yeah. post-it note. Tell me mm-hmm. your like teach me your ways. What did we come up with the post-it that's like, isn't it good to isn't know? Isn't it good to know? Yeah. When I you actually, get information yeah. that Maybe you don't want it, but it's still good information. I have to a know. post-it on my desktop that yeah. says, Isn't that good to know? Dash tie. <laughs> Just <laughs> like he's the funny. author of that. But it's so it, yeah, it's such a vital piece of yeah. the puzzle here. And so if you are open to sharing, just kind yes. of like Yes. It's actually a great example of everything we're talking about. So yes, I, you know, I grew up in Tallahassee, went to university there, and all of a sudden, one day, I was just like, wow, if I don't leave Tallahassee right now, I may never leave. Because, of course, I was like, if I'm going to leave Tallahassee, I'm going to New York City. <laughs> yeah. I had never even been to New York City. <laughs> so I do it. I buy the one-way ticket, figure out that whole course of, you know, how to pay bills. Ate a lot of peanut butter and jelly. Yep. And New York became such an important catalyst to me that I was like, okay, this is where I will end my days. It is a magical place. I learned so much about myself, so much about people. I grew in really hard ways that I don't think I could have done if it wasn't for being in New York and being in that environment. And so I was like, this is it. You know, pandemic happened. We were still like, okay, New York. Yeah. My husband, Ty, actually was a little more open. He was like, (laughs) okay, there's plenty of amazing cities. He loves New York. He was coming up on 20 years in the city. Yeah. He was like, I like it, and there's all these great cities, and there's a lot of tension between us about that, because I was like, what did you say? New York can hear you. (laughs) We cannot leave New York. Like, our kids need to grow up here. You know, not a healthy perspective, to be fair. (laughs) Just, like, digging in. Digging in. Just digging in more and more, and, you know, he has learned me enough to know that I needed to process. And so we, on a Monday, we're looking at an apartment that would have been kind of like our forever dream apartment in New York City, really investing in the city in that way. On a Wednesday, we found out some news about one of my sons, just that we didn't know what the road was going to look like, but we found out some health news that made it very clear New York City is likely to be a very difficult place for him. And there's about three days where my husband and I, you know, we were just looking at each other and you could see the tears welling up because it's fear. It's unknown. You'll do anything for your child to thrive. But like, what is this going to look like? How is it going to work? And then on a Sunday, I looked at Ty. We were just sitting on the couch and I was like, I don't, I don't know if New York City is the place where our whole family can thrive. And he jumped. He was like, where would you be open to? And I was like, I don't know. uh, Nashville, we'd had a lot of dear friends move to Nashville. Um, A lot of my childhood friends have landed here from Tallahassee. And it's just an interesting city. It's a growing city. It's a fantastic city. And so I just threw it out there. And within an hour, he was looking at opportunities. We drove down the next weekend. And it just became so evident. This is where our whole family could thrive. Mm. And we haven't looked back. And I mm. love New York. I feel like my heart just grew. Yeah. You know, instead of it uh, being either or, yeah. right. I can love both. 
and they both have things to give, things to offer. You know, I'm talking about cities like they're my boyfriend or something. No, I was just thinking about like there is very much just like becoming a very emotional. You're like, I love my partner. I love my friends and family. You know, that that kind of idea that there's always room for one more. But like how much, how much room? How much can we expand? It's so scarcity mentality. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I can love more than those amount of things. And we always somehow, we have a lot more love always in us, you know. And I I love, thank you for sharing that. Typically, as we wrap these interviews up, we ask the question, what is a centering practice that kind of really brings you home to yourself, grounds you, if there's something that you want to share with us? Because I'm always, <laughs> I'm always <laughs> like looking for a new practice. Yeah, no. What's, what's kind of keeping your feet on the ground these days? I would say in this season, it's been going on a walk. As simple as that Mm. sounds. But walking, it's, you know, it's where I can play it all out. I get, Mm. I work through fears on a walk. I have ideas when I walk. I also just have silence if I need that. Mm. You know, if you see me walking down the road (laughs) in urban Nashville, and it (laughs) looks like I'm having a conversation with myself, maybe I am. You're playing the Beth and Randall (laughs) game. Now we know. (laughs) All internally, I hope. But no, walking, that's been Mm. really good. There's something about the movement and the pace. That when I would imagine too transitioning from New York that's yes, such a walking yes, city yes. like to be able to still do that in yeah. Nashville and that was really important to us. I was like, there's a bagel shop we can walk to. Yeah. That yeah. is we'll plant there. Delicious. To be very cliche. It. What is next up for 100 cameras? Kind of what like if, if people wanted to support your organization or yeah. find out more information, what what are you guys up to? What does it look like to partner with you in this season? Yes. So we are in another big transition year, actually, with how we structure our programming. And we surveyed educators and local leaders just on what their biggest needs are. And it turns out it's not exactly how we've always packaged our program. Sometimes they need a piece of it. Sometimes they need all of it. Sometimes they need a lot of support, less support. So we've really been working the last couple months on repositioning how we offer our programming and curriculum. And what that's done for the organization is it's it's enabling us, I'm going to use present tense, it's enabling us to actually grow in a way that can meet youth all over the world. Because before, I think we just had kind of our fits where it fit either exactly how it needed to fit yeah. or it didn't. And so the way people can come alongside us is, of course, support the work, knowing that it's going to support the umbrella of our programming to go to community centers and schools all across the world, but also to get involved. If you are in a community and you know of an organization that you think could utilize a program like this or an opportunity like this, reach out to us. That's a lot of the ways that we grow Mm. is through word of mouth in that way and connections in that way. Also, more at (laughs) 100cameras.org. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you both. So fun. Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, 
we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.